This is Listen Up, Home Buyers, the only podcast offering home buying advice and tips from true buyer agents. And now, here's your host, Victoria Ray Henderson. What a pleasure it is to have my next guest on Listen Up Home Buyers. He's a busy exclusive buyer broker in New York City. He's been serving home buyers for 20 plus years and has been featured in the New York Times. The owner broker of Elica Real Estate, welcome Gia Elica. Thank you, Victoria. I am so excited to have you. And as you know, I've been pestering you like crazy to come on the podcast. And finally, I got you. Um, and, and, you know, part of the reason I wanted to talk to you is because I love New York City and I can't even imagine what it's like to do, to do business there. Um, and I, I guess what I mean by that is, you know, first of all, I went to your website. I was kind of doing some research about you. And you're so close to Soho, right near Tribeca. And you've got all these cool neighborhoods you know, how did you begin in real estate in Manhattan? Well, that's a loaded question. <laughs> uh, how did I begin? Well, I, I guess I ran out of options. Um, it was after September 11th. I wasn't sure what my career path was. I was in the restaurant and hospitality business, and we used to throw some parties with promoters in a, in a space, Chelsea Piers, which is like a recreational facility on the water in yeah. Chelsea. Yeah, I've been um, there. And my mother had told me to do real estate, I don't know, back when I was 20. But, you know, stupidly enough, I didn't listen. <laughs> and everything comes full circle. So it came to the point where there was no reason to party after September 11th. And the restaurant business, we sold our restaurant six months before September 11th. We, we were very lucky. Yeah. And the other restaurant I had was just a lease, so we didn't renegotiate. And I really didn't have many options. Um, it was either become a taxi driver or a real estate <laughs> Are you glad you became a real estate agent? I am glad. <laughs> and so, I, I enjoy using Uber and not having to drive the Uber. I, that was kind of my next question. I was going to say, do you, do you take taxis or do you Uber? How do you show people listings in, in the city? But like it depends, yeah. The best way to, to see properties, I think, is to walk from one property to another. Um, I think a lot of New York's beauty is up in the sky um, and you don't really see that from the car and you don't see um, the presence of a building as well from a car. So I like to walk up to a building versus drive up to a building, but that doesn't mean that you have that luxury and it really depends on the client ultimately. Yeah, for so sure. If the client's well-to-do and they have you know, a, a large budget, they're going to want curbside delivery. Right. They're right. not going to walk up on the building, but right. they will walk away from the building and look up at it. So that's, right. that's what we do in that instance. But it really, look, much of it depends on the budget, depends on the area. Some areas you can walk from one, from if it's Soho and Tribeca well, they're only a walk away from each other. So, you know, you, you schedule it accordingly and you, you just stroll from one neighborhood to the other, which is great about New York. So mm -hmm. I, I remember when I was in Arizona, as you mm -hmm. know, when we, when we do our conferences, and I always struggled to think how do brokers work here yeah. because I remember, you know, where, where, where we stayed and where the conference was and if we wanted to go downtown or if we wanted to go anywhere in Arizona, it's a 30-minute yeah. drive yeah. Least, usually. Right. Um, and it's large distances. So in some respects, yeah. I actually am really thankful to practice property in Manhattan because you walk to the elevator, you ride the elevator, you ride the elevator down, you walk to the next building. So it's kind of easy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, uh, I, I have uh, so many questions to ask you. So the first, the first part of it I want to ask is, 
how you evaluate properties, but of course, you've got clients with obviously different financial, you know, deep pockets, not so deep pockets. So um, for when buyers come to you, um, walk me through the process of what would be an average buyer in Manhattan and how you begin that process of working for them and evaluating those properties. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, valuations uh, are dependent on the particular property and, and the particular market at a given time and what one's willing to pay for it, right? So um, much of it depends on, on the person's criteria. The average apartment in Manhattan is about a million bucks. It fluctuates between over the last 10 years between one, two, seven, five and change and, and a million bucks. Um, you know, you could buy a three, four bedroom house in Arizona or other parts of the country. Potentially, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, where in this town, it doesn't buy you an awful lot. Um, and it's very tricky because, you know, you talk to people about their time horizon and how long they're going to reside in a property. And it's tough because that particular property is not really good for more than five to seven years tops at that. So right. you're really hoping that your client's going to say that, well, they're going to compromise and they're going to pack their things tight and they're going to live there longer than, than the property itself will allow them to live there. You know, when you so when you when you say it's only good for five years, are you talking about because they may expand uh, as a family, or or it, it kind of flush that out a little bit for yeah, me? Yeah, I think I think apartments get smaller over time. Yeah, and I think that if you you know storage is a major problem is in this town. Um, if you like to cook, that's a problem in this town. If you like to ride a bicycle, that's a problem in this town because <laughs> everything needs a place where it's going to go and not everything has a place where to go. So you, you often have to, it's kind of, you have to think of your apartment as a, as a, as a like a, a, one of those, those knives, the, the utility knives, you know, they do mm-hmm. multi, multi-task. So, you know, you, you really have to, you need a smart apartment when it comes to storage, when it comes to your furniture, you need smart furniture. People really go above and beyond to create the most out of a very small space. Yeah. Um, yeah. And what one should pay for that is very difficult to work out because at the end of the day, again, it comes down to comps and it comes down to um, momentum or the lack thereof. Um, But also, you know, what one, if one can grow in there enough, if they can grow into the valuation and into a profit, Mm-hmm, that's, right. That's usually the biggest problem. Do Do you ever have uh, clients? And I know we do this in the Washington D.C. area, specifically right in the district where um, you'll be in a co-op. And mm-hmm. I want to talk to you about about because you were calling things apartments, and that's a different term than what we use in the D.C. area. But I'll get to that. But do you ever have clients who say, you know, that 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 they'll buy one place and then hope that the next door neighbor, um, you know, yeah. expires so they can you know, expand their, their, their apartment because, you know, co-ops, maybe they allow that to happen. I mean, is that a common thing that comes up where people can expand the space and buy another unit? So, so yeah. yeah, that's, that's a common play for investors. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's, it's always a good thing to have as a value add, you mm-hmm. know, it's, versus just your vanilla transactions. So if you think that potentially there could be demand because the family next door is growing and, and they've already invested, uh, half a million dollars into their apartment and just had a child. Right. I think they would prefer to break the wall than to move. You yeah. know? So, oh, it's so wild. It's an opportunity. It's, 
Yeah, yeah. So walk me through the process of you get a buyer, you sit down with them, um, and and from that point um, to the settlement table. And now, it's my understanding you're not writing the contract, correct? You bring a lawyer in to do that. Yeah. So I, yeah, in New York State, the process is that we don't do escrow. We don't write contracts uh, as real estate agents. Um, we are not allowed to touch contracts other than read them, mm-hmm. never to advise on them or about them, um, and never to change any verbiage or amend any verbiage. All has to be done by an attorney. Um, yeah, um, but it's, it, it reduces a lot of liability. I almost feel sorry for a lot of realtors in other parts of the country because yep. I, know, I know how hard they work. Yep. I know how hard the escrow. I, I, I sat through a Floridian real estate licensing course um, and that was painful enough. <laughs> so having to practice that way would be a complete shift. So I'm, I'm very fortunate, and I think all the brokers in Manhattan are very fortunate because we don't technically work as hard as brokers in other parts of the country. But you're still, you know, there's still so much value to what you're bringing at the, at the, at the beginning and all through that process. So walk me through to tell me, tell me what it is that you're doing for your, your buyer, buyers to protect them or your investors oh. to protect their interests. You know, talk to me a little bit about what that process is like. I think it's really listening to the person, you know. So we we all have scripts and and what have you, or a process for understanding what a buyer wants. Um, but I think sometimes we actually don't listen to what the buyer actually wants, mm-hmm. um, and we don't think outside of the box. Um, and I've just been training an agent, as you're aware, and 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 you know, I think tra- thinking outside of the box is is very important. Because very, how, and you know as an agent, how rare is it that you get a round peg in a round hole? Yeah. You know, oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Um, you know, you, you, you have to find the opportunity. The opportunity is not going to come to you. So, yeah. if given the fact that interest rates are low, housing stock is limited at the lower end of the, the spectrum, um, you have to fight. You have to fight against, you've you got to fight for your client. Right. Mm-hmm. So right. in the case of a cop, you have to upsell your client in order for them to get approved by the cop to begin right. with, or even your offer accepted to that degree. No, so your your co-ops are a lot stricter than the ones we have in DC. Talk to me about about that that whole, you know, talking up your client. Talk to me about how hard is that to do to get into a co-op. I I, I think communications and, and and packaging your offer is essential. Okay. Um, and if I was the listing broker and I was representing a co-op, I wouldn't look at an offer that wasn't well put together. I think um, expressing and showing that you have a, a good team, let's say an attorney, a home inspector, a broker, and you're all aligned and you're all on the same page and perhaps you've done a deal before together so you all speak the same language. Right. I think right. all of that can benefit the buyer through the process right. versus a disconnected team and a team yeah. that's learning to work together or I'd never have worked together. Um, so how often do you have buyers that come in and say, hey, I've got this, this lender that I found online and I want to use him to yeah. get my loan? Um, you know, how do you explain to that buyer, as I often find myself doing, you know, don't know who they are, are they going to pick up the phone? You know, do you just let them kind of... Uh, no, no, no. I, I think, look, I, I think brokers have to value their time. And I think the longer I've done this, the more valuable my time has become. Yeah. Um, and there have been times where I'll turn down clients because mm-hmm. I, can't, I can't give the time that's needed for one client 
And I don't want to dilute that time by giving it to another that's perhaps less qualified than that one. And then instead of doing two deals, you do no deals or (laughs) instead of doing one deal. So sometimes you can bite off more than you can chew. Yeah. And I think that, you know, as a buyer's agent too, we're not limited in our scope as far as neighborhood. We generally go wherever our buyer wants us to go. Mm-hmm. And it's really our duty to have knowledge on there if we quote to say that we have any experience or knowledge um, of that neighborhood. So, right. so it's our duty to to be well versed in multiple languages or um, multiple neighborhoods, yeah. languages if you can. Of course, that's in New <laughs> yeah. York, that's great. Um, but architecture, property, you know, all of these things. And, yeah. and I think when you're interviewing a client, um, you know, they don't know what's out there a lot of the time. Yeah, that's true. A lot of the true. time you get reload clients, they're not familiar with the streets and how the streets look or what type of architecture is where or this yeah. or that or if they want a junior four apartment and that's only available in a co-op, not a condo, you know, things so like that. Here you are educating them all the way along, you know, just making sure that they understand what is available, you know, yeah. for them. Yeah, I mean, look, yeah. real estate can be a really boring and, 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 and process and, and, anxious, and an anxious process for a lot of people. Right, because and and it's especially for first-time home buyers. Needless to say, I mean they're just you know they're facing nothing but a mountain in front of them, mm-hmm. and the only the only guide they have is their broker to get them up the mountain. Otherwise, right. they'll fall down the mountain. So, you know, you've got to. I think the brokers, obviously. Having a great client is easier for the broker if the client knows everything that they want. Right. But how often do you get everything that's, you know, in, in the place that it's supposed to be? So I, I often find myself trying to think about what my client's going to ask me next. Yeah. So yeah. I'm one step ahead of my client so I can try to guide them in the right direction right. should there not right. be a direction. Right, 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 right. Yeah, you know, um, I had a client. Uh, several years ago, uh, husband and wife, and um, and I thought that we knew. Victoria, one second. I just sure. heard. I, we just heard that we got a deal in the office. So. Wonderful. And my wife, my wife, my wife. On top of that, give me a kiss. Give me a kiss. Oh, it's camera. just Victoria. <laughs> <laughs> say, no kiss, say, kiss, say, kiss, say kiss. Hi, say hi to Victoria. Say hi. Hi, hi. It's so nice to meet you. <laughs> Okay, sorry, Victoria. Sorry. No, that's fine. Um, where was I? Oh, I know. I was, I was going to share with you this. I had a client, husband and wife, thought we were on the same page. We had written out our needs and our wants list. And he kept running into the backyard every time we were in a house. And I walked to the back door and I'm watching him, watching him. And finally, third, fourth time, I'm, I walk out and I go, what are you doing? And he said, well, it's got to be a flat backyard because I'm going to be playing catch someday with my future child. And I need to, to know that, that we can play in our backyard. And I look and his wife, he had never said that to his wife, yeah. never told her. And she got tears in her eyes and said, I had no idea that, you know, so, so they weren't even on the same page about that. That was like a secret that he couldn't share with anybody. But then when he spilled the beans, I went to visit them eight, you know, a year later, they had a baby. Oh, wow. <laughs> really cute. Uh, see so, what a flat piece of land can get you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I share that with you because, you know, as, as a broker, you know, so often you, it's like you're peeling the layers off the onion and finally you get to the kernel of what it is that they're, what they, what they are trying to say to you or just trying to get to know them. So you understand what they want, you know? 
And the best example that I've got for you that I can share, I represented a, a gentleman, a very bright guy, tech guy, uh, wrote an algorithm to, to spy to the dark web for human trafficking. A really, oh, wow. like a, a really amazing thing, right? Because there's yeah. a big problem right now. Um, anyway, so he, he went to our site and he engaged in the blog and he read the content and he came back to me and he said, you know, and he just reached out through my form on the website and said, I'd like to work with you. And anyway, long story short, we came to a deal and I, I met an incredible person. But he said to me, he also wrote a review that I think I, I spent my whole career working for. Oh, I read that one. I read yeah. that one. It was a yeah. beautiful review. Yeah, thank you. And, and, he, <laughs> um, and I didn't ask for it. I didn't ask for it. He, he, he said to me, I don't have time. I'm launching my company. He was in the New York Times the week after I met him with a, and he said, he, you know, he said to me, gear throughout the whole process, I never had to, only for the first week was I, was I concerned whether I was with the right person or not. But once, once I spent some time with you and, and, and you answered the questions thoroughly and to the point and, and very, and, and I'm straightforward. I don't, and as buyers agents, we're all supposed to be straightforward, right? We're not supposed right. to ups. He really appreciated that. And he appreciated the unbiased. And I actually told him, don't buy that property, buy that one. Yeah, yeah. You know, the truth of it is that, that especially as an exclusive buyer's agent and broker, people, people start to know that they can trust you. And, and, and that's really it. It's about, it's about that relationship and about having trust with somebody. Now I'm going to ask you something really silly. Do you have any famous clients that you can, I'm sure you can't name names, but if you want to, you can. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I can't. I can't. Uh, Any I good stories? I, I have some. I, you know, I can't, unfortunately. Cause sure. The only, the only reason why I have some incredible clients that I have is only because I don't share anything. You like what you do? I like what I do. Isn't that fun? Yeah. yeah. I, I, I like to get up. I like to find homes for people. I like homes. Um, I, like, I like the relationships that we create. I like what we learn throughout the process. I think it's a lot more than just about real estate. I think real estate's the product that we transact in. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it's, it's not the reason I think. So I, th- I just think that there's a big, when you're, when you're dealing with, with a person's wealth, mm-hmm. and they entrust you with it. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I don't know about you, but I wouldn't entrust my friends with my wealth. Yeah. Let alone yeah. a strange broker that I meet off the internet. <laughs> but, so I think uh, I think valuing that and seeing it through the buyer's eyes, and never taking that for granted, I think is is essential. I think that's a, a terrific way to end a very very fun uh, podcast. Good. So Gia Elica, thank you so much for joining me on Listen Up, Home Buyers. It has been such a pleasure talking to you. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Victoria. Thank you. You're welcome. Okay. Bye bye. Bye bye. You've been listening to Listen Up Home Buyers, the only podcast offering home buying advice and tips from true buyer agents.